Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC is your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And as you will hear a little bit later on, my voice is slightly hoarse. We'll get to him. Joining me is a man whose voice is also a little bit hoarse. Hello, Raspy Jack. How are we, mate? Okay, Raspadori over here. Oh, my um, days. Yeah, it's... Um, look, we've had... We're struggling a little bit. Not... No, struggling is the wrong word, but um, yeah, our voices aren't in peak condition, are they? No, I would say that it's been it's been a bank holiday weekend full of shouting. It's um, been a day. It's been a day, shall we? And I think it brings us quite nicely onto our start um, of things we love. And I'm going to speak for both of us here, DJ, <laughs> in our things we love uh, by talking about... The fact that last night we got to witness Fulham become champions of the championship. First title for 21 years. Oi, oi. Um, and that's why both of our voices are a little bit raspy. We got to see <coughs> trophy celebrations as Fulham hammered Luton 7-0. 7-0. <laughs> it's the third time Fulham won 7-0 this season. Um, <laughs> it's just really enjoyable when Fulham are in that kind of mood. And it did feel like quite a, a, a fitting <laughs> send-off to the season, a real way to kind of... Well, and and was has been an absolutely unbelievable year to be a Fulham fan, and it would have been wrong for I think for me not to talk about this here. Yeah, things we love because it has been. It was such a remarkable experience. There was a real unbelievable atmosphere at the cottage yesterday. Um, it's not always unbelievable at the cottage. Let's be fair about things. Sometimes the atmosphere is better than others. But last night, the club did everything they could, I think, to to make sure that it was going to be a happy ending for, for everyone involved. Free scarves given out, the entire place bedecked in black and white and the team on the pitch rose to that occasion by hammering the team who are in fifth place in the championship, by the way, Luton. You know, they, this is not uh, a bottom half of the table. This is a team who are probably going to be in the playoffs. Um, seven <laughs> nil victory for Fulham at Craven Cottage. So, um, thankfully, that confirms the title. Fulham are champions and it's it was some evening. <laughs> oh, mate, it was mad. We won 7 0, but the first goal wasn't until the 29th minute. And I have to admit, on about the 25th minute, I was like, oh, come on, Fulham. We had to win last night to clinch the title at home. And we knew that it was going to be such a good night if we could just get that breakthrough. And Tom Kearney, I mean, Mr. Fulham, just scores an absolute belter. Like, it'll be one of the, my most memorable Fulham goals, I think. Like, the view I had of it, just leaving his boot, just flying into the roof of the net. Um, we're just mad and it kind of just opened the floodgates and in the second half we just we just had so much fun and like just scoring like at will it just uh, this doesn't happen like to score seven goals against a team just a few places behind them with so much to play for this is the thing though a massive gulf between us at the top of the league and Luton in fifth and yet also a massive gulf between us and a safety spot in the Premier League next season. So there's a lot to be done, but, oh, mate, it was brilliant. I loved it so much. I was back on that pitch again at the end. Um, second time in two weeks I've been on the hallowed turf. I actually picked a bit of grass as well as a souvenir, but sadly I think it's already died. I thought I might be able to put it in a little box or something as a keepsake, but um, I told Dylan that was a present for him this morning. 
Do you know what he did, mate? Some dead grass, mate. Dad, big dad moment. He woke up this morning. First thing he said was, "Did Fulham win the cup, Dad?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Yes." How many goals did we score? I was like, seven. He was like, "What? Seven, Dad? Can you can you show me some photos? Can I see them lifting the cup? Can I see you there, mate?" I was like, "Wow, this is amazing." He's four, and he's like buzzing off Fulham winning the league. So yeah, um, he was a bit gutted actually. He saw the pictures of me and my nephew on the pitch, and he cried because he wasn't there. Oh, <laughs> it was a bit, a, bit, a bit of a sad moment. But he said, "Okay, Dad. Well, next season I'm going to come and I'll go on the pitch." Okay, no, you'll yeah. be arrested, but okay. <laughs> no, it's all right. Well, it's all right if it's a child, isn't it? But yeah, yeah, actually, it seems to be, actually. They keep letting kids run on games. As long as you know. don't go on, you just have to put him on and just let him run and hope for the best. So we'll see We'll see how that goes next season when we're 3-0 when we're down at home to Crystal Palace. Um, no, that, that's unfortunately where it is. But, you know, it's, we should suck, savour these moments, right? And uh, enjoy oh, yeah. them in because they don't come around all They really don't. Um, they really don't. Right, 7 nils do, apparently, this season right let's go to your things we love shall we yeah i'm just going to touch on one um we haven't done mls really recently and um obviously i follow lafc uh, from afar and what a start to the season they've had um they've changed managers obviously they got rid of bob bradley um at the end of last season and things had died under bob bradley you know lafc you know they haven't quite got to the peak of the mountain yet in MLS since their formation. They haven't won it. Um, haven't won MLS Cup. But this season, they changed manager. They brought in a guy, Steve Cherondolo. And, you know, a bit of stick about that appointment. They were like, oh, who's this guy? Why are we going for this loser? Literally, Sam's like friend, some... isn't he, Steve Cherondolo? Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, people really didn't seem that happy with the appointment. I mean, I reserved all judgment. I really didn't know a lot about him. Um, but what a start to the season it's been for LAFC. They've played nine games. They've won seven, drawn one, lost one, scored 21, conceded eight. But what's really shone through for LAFC is like before, it's always been about the stars, the big names, like obviously Vela, Rossi was a big star. But the playmakers of this team really always made them tick. Yeah, at the moment, it's always the substitutions that seem to pay off. Um, they've scored eight of the 21 goals so far. Um, and they've really made the difference. I loved this intro from, um, where was it from? The Los Angeles Daily News. Listen to this, Jack. A pair of late scores from the bench produced Los Angeles Football Club's latest victory. A pair of late scores. Love it. That is not how you write about football, but I absolutely love it and I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, it's just been really good start to season for LAFC. So I just thought I'd give them a shout out because apart from Fulham, they're the only other team we're in support. Yeah, well, I mean, it's um, it's been a good week, a couple of weeks for everyone involved, I think. Uh, you're a happy man. I'm a happy man today. Um, yeah, mate, what a season, really. I mean, like, Betis won a cup for you. Yeah. Fulham have won the league. LAFC are top of the league. Um, you'll be delighted to know England are going to win the World Cup at the end of the oh. year. Um, Walton and Ashen, my local team, they won the league. Oh, Hamwell Town got promoted, my local Hanwell team. Hamwell Town have been promoted. Come on. Do Everyone's you want having us a great to time. Your team in these final weeks of the season. Actually, this leads us in perfectly, doesn't it? Like we're going to talk about the big finales of the season. And do you know what? Like thinking about what we were going to talk about today, because there wasn't really an obvious theme. And I was like, we should just be talking about the big things that are going to be played out. Like we don't often get the chance to address the the live stuff that matters in the moment. Like we rank stuff generally, you know, Champions League and stuff. It's all obvious, but. So how could we talk about these great things that are still going to unfold? So, yeah, let's talk about some big finales because 
I think I've probably got the obvious stuff up my sleeve, but I reckon you've got a few off-piece things that probably need to be looked at too. Yeah, absolutely. So after the break, we're going to be looking at the things that basically you need to be watching in these final weeks of the season, um, the the stuff that is yet to be decided. So there's a little bit about title races, a little bit about relegation scraps, a little bit about promotion fights, um, all the things that basically are yet to be decided. Dean's going to do a big three um, of the kind of main storylines waiting to be decided. Um, and then I'm going to go off piece a little bit and, and, and find some other things for you to discuss as well and, and things to keep an eye on. So lots to be excited about. And um, we'll be back after the break. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main ranking. Dean, you're going to kick us off here and I'm going to give you a sub ranking. These have This has been the, the way of the world, actually, with the two of us. With Sam still on his on his holly bobs. When's he back? I don't know. I, I don't have literally know. no idea. Maybe next week, but potentially the week after. I don't know, yeah. um, obviously, we're recording this on Tuesday, right? So we're talking before the Champions League semi-finals. Yeah. Um, by the time you listen to this, one of those will have been played out. Liverpool Real will have a victor. It looks pretty likely at this point that that victor is going to be Liverpool, but weirder things have happened. Um, mm. And then Real Madrid against Manchester City will take place on the evening of this being released. So there's lots to yeah. play for. And I imagine that means we're probably not going to talk about anything to do with the Champions League because there's it, too many variables in play. So we're going to yeah. keep this relatively domestic, I think, in terms of how it pans out. But yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's exciting. There's lots to there's lots to look at nonetheless, and, and I'll hand over to you for this first bit. Yeah, I mean, I have found a way to work the Champions League into this, so don't worry. Um, right, I've got three here, so we're doing a three-way ranking, and each gets a thrill factor out of ten um, as to how exciting this is going to be. At number three, it's the Premier League relegation battle between Everton, Leeds, and Burnley. Um, this gets a thrill factor of eight. It's not that sexy. There's no silverware at stake here. But this runs deep. Like this really, really, this probably matters the most, actually. But yeah, it's just not I would that sexy. agree. Um, so let's just have a quick run through of like where we're at here. Everton are currently in the final relegation position on 32 points. If, this, if their league ended right now, Everton are relegated. They're on 32 points. Leeds are one place and two points ahead of them, and Burnley are one place above Leeds with a better goal difference. But Everton have a game in hand on both of those. They have played a game less. Here's how the seasons play out for these three teams who are fighting for their lives. Everton have five games left. Leicester, Watford, and then they've got Brentford and Palace both at home, and then they've got an away game against Arsenal. Five games left to save their season. Leeds have got four games left. Arsenal away, then Chelsea and Brighton both at home, and then Brentford away on the last day of the season. Burnley also have four games left. Villa at home, Spurs away. Then they play Villa again away. It's hilarious, this. It's May. It's May. <laughs> Burnley and so Villa hilarious. have not played yet. Newcastle at home. Villa basically determined whether Burnley stay in the Premier League. I predict that of those five games Everton have left, they get at least two more wins. Okay. But with three other games to play two, they'll probably get a point from one of those three. I predict that Everton end the season on 39 points. Right. With Leeds, of those four games left, Arsenal, Chelsea, Brighton, Brentford, I think they get four points. Mm-hmm. Leaves them on 38. And then Burnley, from 
a double header with Villa, <laughs> Spurs and Newcastle. I'm backing them to get six points. That means that they end up on 40 points. If all that plays out in that way, Leeds are relegated. Yeah. It's unbelievable, yeah. really, because I thought they were out of it. <laughs> I thought they were clear. I, I've, I've got to say, I thought Leeds were clear. Um, I still think they will survive. I, I think yeah. the Leeds will survive. Based I don't, on what? I don't, think, on I don't what? think Everton are getting six more points. Like I, five games. Honestly, don't think Everton are getting six more points. Um, I, do, I, I do. I mean, that's fair enough. And look, it's, this isn't anything. There's no anti-Everton sentiment. We're guessing. Here. We are it, guessing. Of course, we're guessing. Everybody's guessing at this I point. I know, but this like, is a team. Logic is out the window here. This is a team that rolled over to Burnley and then beat Chelsea. It makes yeah, no logic sense is out the window, at all. Totally. Um, so these are obviously guesses, but I don't know. I have a bad feeling about Everton, man. I just have a bad feeling about it. And I, yeah. I think that's the. Oh, I can only work on hunches here. And no, totally. I still look, got a slight hunch that Chelsea rolled over for Frank Lampard at the weekend. <laughs> um, and look, I do think it's out of them and Everton, but in their Everton squad, I'm looking at Pickford, who had an absolute blinder at the weekend, and I'm looking at Richarlison. Like they are two big players to rely on at this this stage of the season at both ends of the pitch, and both seem to have the bit between their teeth right now to prove a point and make the difference. Leeds, they've got a really good keeper in Melier, like no doubt about that. Like I'm not, I'm not questioning him at all. I'm a bit worried about what's going on up the other end. Who's there, Richarlison? It's not Rodrigo. Well, it's just Rafinha, isn't it? it Rafinha's not Richarlison either at the moment. They need Bamford and they've missed him so much. Obviously, he was last season's top goal scorer. He's had injury problems since mid-September. He's only played four games since then. Um, his latest setback is a problem with the bottom of his foot. Um, that was in March he suffered that. and We were told he would need six weeks rest and that he could then start coming into his recovery period and thinking about getting back. Jesse Marsh has said, like, things are going well and he's going to step up, step up training this week. And he's optimistic that he will play before that last game of the season at Brentford, which will probably be the day that all this is determined. Like, it probably will come down to the final day. Um, so they might have Bamford back for... The last day, maybe even the game before that, if if things were to go really well. So if Bamford was back, then yeah, that, that changes my prediction a little bit. And I'd say it does look worse for Everton. But from what I've just predicted there, I mean, it's pretty mad that I'm giving Burnley the best chance of getting out of this. Managerless Mike, Burnley. Mike Jackson and Ben, ben Mee. Mike Jackson's Claret Blue Army. Yeah, madness. It really is really is really mad at the moment. And that is it's something to be explored, obviously. So there's loads to get on with. But yeah, at the but bottom yeah. of the Premier League is so tight. And it really is. I mean, it it's just gonna be great to see it how it makes plays out. Things so, so enticing, especially considering that, you know, I think that all of this kind of plays into each other, and I'm sure we'll come on to tight races, but all of it plays into the fact that the fact that the top four race isn't done. The fact that the European yeah. spots aren't done all affect the relegation battle. Like, you know, if these yeah. spots are sealed, like in Serie A, and we'll come on to Serie A's relegation scrap as well, you know, but the teams in the top four, you know, aside from the title race, Napoli and Juventus, to a point, can relax because yeah. they, and that doesn't mean that they'll lose. In fact, often means they'll win. We saw Napoli at the weekend go and batter Sassuolo once no pressure. the pressure had been released, right? Because they weren't in the title race anymore. But, Sometimes that makes teams play better. Sometimes it means they're on the beach. And all of that affects 
the fact that, you know, in, in Germany this weekend, we saw Felix Magat, Hertha Berlin manager, come out and say he's concerned that Bayern players are on the beach because next week Bayern plays Stuttgart, who are placed below Hertha in the league table. And you're going, this is mad to be even considering these opportunities. So the fact that everything's still alive in the Premier League, I do think affects this in an interesting way because it means that loads of teams that are playing these relegation-threatened sides have things still to play for, and that makes life really exciting. Absolutely, yeah. Let's move on to number two. This is massive. Man City versus Liverpool. They're not directly playing each other. They might be, actually, but they're not scheduled to, at this stage, play each other. But this rivalry at this stage of the season is getting a thrill factor of nine. Can City hold off Liverpool at the top of the table? And also, who clinches the Champions League? In the Premier League, City are on 83 points. Their goal difference is 63. Liverpool are on 82 points. Their goal difference is 64. There is so little between these two brilliant teams. They've met last month and drew 2-2. They met earlier on in the season and drew 2-2. As you say, we're recording this before the semi-finals, second legs are played of the Champions League. But as it stands this moment, they could obviously meet in the Champions League final. Um, and who comes out of this season as the big winners? Who is better out of Man City and Liverpool? We can all have a preference. We can all say what we prefer to watch, who we think will do it. None of us know what is going to matter here when it comes down to getting over the line. Um Look, City have a huge game in front of them on Wednesday to go to the Bernabeu and they do hold a slight lead, but it's not a big as lead as they could have had. Um, and yeah, then at the weekend, we get back to Premier League matters. City face Newcastle United and Liverpool play Tottenham. This might be the defining weekend in the Premier League title race. It is the toughest fixture that both clubs have remaining on the schedule, in the league. Honestly, this is so nerve-wracking. Like The fans, I mean, both sets of fans are going to every game with so much on the line right now. Like, this isn't beating Luton 7-0. This is going into games and just hoping you get in the 1-0. I'd have taken a 1-0 last night, of course. But um, every single kick matters at this point for both of these teams. City's recent form is a bit more patchy than Liverpool's. I personally, as you all know, have a sneaky feeling that Liverpool do actually win the league. A lot of that is based on their consistency, number of goals they manage to come up with. There's an underriding belief that is ingrained in that Liverpool team. It does remind me of how Man United were when, like, say, in 1999, when they won the treble. Um, United fans and players always believed that they would find a way to win. I do get a very similar feeling to that with Liverpool. But I do also think that Man City are very slightly a better football team. It's a very, very tough one. It's a, I don't know, you know, they win all their games. Obviously, City are the Premier League champions and there's nothing that anyone can do about that, no matter how Liverpool, good Liverpool are. But yeah, every fixture massive, but particularly these midweekers and then the weekend. Everyone have your eyes on this because this is a thriller. Yeah, I think this is it. I, I, I agree with you in some ways. I agree with you that this is the weekend for me. This is where it's won and lost. Um, I know that Wolves have you know both to play and we'll, we'll, we'll look to have a say, but the form that they're in at the moment is 
indifferent at best, I think is probably the the, the way to put it. Um, and, the, and there's those games against Villa as well, who kind of make themselves kingmakers in that last day against City. And obviously Gerard being the manager, there's narrative pouring all over the place there. But... Um, when you do look at this, I think if City get through this test against Newcastle, and I do think that they're being at home this weekend for them is massive. Like, if this was Newcastle away, I'd be really concerned. But I think considering the job they did against Leeds and how how much they rode that pressure and just saw that game out and were just like, yeah, no worries, we'll just put four past them, no stress. Um, it really did kind of make me think. Okay, this team of they've they've got they've got that bottle. I think we saw it in the Athletic game because we talked about this a bit before. But we saw it in the Athletic game. This city side are street smart. They have the bottle. They have the you know the nerve. And yes, they could still lose this title. But I don't think it's going to be because they'll bottle it. I think if something happens, it's going to be you know uh, just because they're outperformed or or something happens that it just doesn't fall their way i don't think they're going to lose their nerve at this point which i think is important and and so i still give city the edge i think they get through this weekend then it's going to be very hard to stop them so we yeah i mean this is interesting so liverpool play first so liverpool are playing saturday night like proper saturday night too a 745 kickoff in england this game Rare, sure rare. Yeah, I don't know why that's happening, but great. It's going to be a fun Saturday night. Um, yeah, Liverpool versus Tottenham, 7.45 UK time on Saturday. So City, watch that one play out. You imagine the way things are gone. Liverpool do get the win they want. Liverpool go top of the league. Then Man City, no, they've got to react. And then Sunday, 4.30 UK time. That's when they're at home to Newcastle. So, you know, that does that can play into things too. Maybe it helps them. Also, though, like if they know Liverpool have lost, then City really do basically clinch the title with a win over Newcastle. Like that's why this weekend is so important. Like Liverpool needs to get that win on Saturday to make sure that there is still pressure on City on Sunday. Otherwise, if Liverpool have slipped up, I think the City go into that game against Newcastle actually with a little bit less pressure. I think, right, lads, let's go and do a Fulham here. Let's absolutely batter them. Let's play Newcastle off the park. Yes, they're looking to be, do big things. Yes, they've had big improvements under Eddie Howe. We are Pep Guardiola's Man City. Let's go and win this league in style and beat them 2-3-4-0. Um, so let's wait and see. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. It's super, super tight. Um, and obviously it's going to be mad, but it's, it's, this is what happens when you get two teams at the peak of their powers, um, yeah. playing some brilliant things. And obviously we saw Jürgen Klopp sign an extension, looking likely that Pep might as well. Um, I just never want this to end. Well, this is it. I think they're loving it. I think there's something to be said here that that these two men are loving it. And obviously there's an element of rivalry in it. But I think what we've seen, especially from Pep before, right, is that he leaves to pursue new challenges almost when he gets a bit bored of it. Yeah. And there's nothing boring about this. He has got the structure behind him to do what he wants to do. He has such a brilliant opponent in Jurgen Klopp who has now signed on for a longer period. And you're thinking... Oh, this isn't going to end. They don't want this to end. And it's going to be really interesting to see who else comes into this conversation. And, you know, you look at Tottenham's form in the second half of this season. Yes, it hasn't been you know as good of late, but there was that streak where Tottenham looked un- unplayable. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that Conte has come back into this conversation as well. We're looking at some of the greatest tactical minds, Thomas Tuchel as well, in, in the world, you know, batting it out. I, I think it's so good for the state of the top of English football. In that, you know, and you know I'm a, a continental fan. You know that this is my favourite things are often on the continent rather than the Premier League. But you look at actually what's going on at the top there in terms of the masterminds at play. 
and it just seems to be getting better and better and better. And they're driving each other onto new, newer and higher heights. Um, mm. And I, I think that's super exciting for, for everyone, basically, to watch how these things play out. Okay, so despite saying all of that, like it's not actually at number one. This is Thrill Factor 10 stuff, and we're going over to Italy for this. It's the Serie A title race between AC Milan and Inter Milan. This is so tense, and there is so much pressure on AC Milan to hold off the challenge of Inter, the reigning champions. You just do not see this very often anywhere in the world but especially in Italy, for the two Milan clubs to be going head-to-head to win the Scudetto. Milan are on 77 points. They're top of the league with three games left. Inter Milan are on 75 points with three games left. They obviously blew it against Bologna, that game in hand that they had. Um, AC Milan have, though, a better head-to-head record, which is how things are decided in Italy. It's not about goal difference here. It's about the head-to-head record. And having drawn the first derby in November and then winning the second one, 2-1 in February, AC Milan have the edge. And look, technically, they could actually drop points here. But come on, don't do it. Do not do it. Don't lose focus now, AC Milan, if you want to get this done. You've got 270 minutes of the season left and you have not won the Scudetto since 2011. Look, the mentality of this team has been tested time and time again, not just this season, but in the past two or three years, really. I mean, they've been through a range of emotions under Pioli. I remember particularly in lockdown watching this team as they started to show signs that something like this might be possible. And they've got actually better and better at dealing with the stress. An 82nd minute winner versus Fiorentina through Rafael Liao at the weekend. The week before that, it was a 90th minute winner by Sandro Tonali to beat Lazio. Milan's remaining games, a Verona away, Atalanta at home, Sassuolo away. Inter's remaining games, Empoli at home, Cagliari away and Samp- Sampdoria at home. Also, though, in to have a Coppa Italia final against Juventus to deal with between the Empoli and Cagliari games. That's against Juventus to win a trophy. Like, that's a massive game. They've also got to fit into that schedule that AC Milan do not have. Oh, can they do this? Can AC Milan hold up to this? And we saw after that Lazio game, anyone that saw it, like it was like they'd won the league when Tonali scored. Like it was one of the moments of the season that we've seen so far. The crowd were there in their thousands. The banners were up. It was unbelievable. I can't imagine what it will actually be like if they do clinch the title. How do you see it going, mate? I think the fact that now Milan can afford to drop two points is massive. Like that's what that fight that you know that loss does for Inter, um, and I think that's what it does. It means that Milan are playing a little bit. Um, it means they're playing a little bit more in within themselves. I think, and you know, they're they're quite comfortable. And, and obviously, they, they kind of comfortable is not the right word. Obviously, they won one 0 against Fiorentina. Fiorentina are a very good side. Like even if they didn't show that midweek against Udinese when they got battered, really strange game at uh, the Flanky, but. Ultimately, you know, this Fiorentina side are in these conversations for European places for a reason, because under Italiano this year, they've been excellent. Um, And we're seeing this Milan side just believe in themselves. Rafael Liao is a game breaker, right? He's that kind of player that can make things happen. Yes, I think he's 10 goals, five assists now um, for the season for him. And it doesn't sound like loads, but actually you look back and see the importance of some of these goals and assists. And it really is incredible. And he is the man that makes things happen 
for this Milan side. And you think about the fact that, you know, Olivier Giroud and, and obviously came up massive in, in the derby and is the reason this head-to-head record plays out and all of these things. But, you know, I think Liao has been so, so crucial to this side. And I just look at this now and I look at what's left in in, in this area, you know, games, these three games remaining. Inter obviously have Empoli uh, and then they have Cagliari away who are fighting for their lives and they have Sampdoria on the final day. You look at Milan's schedule, they have they are away to Verona this weekend, which is a tricky fixture. They host Atalanta next, tricky fixture. And then on the final day, they're away to Sassuolo, right? That is a far harder running on paper. But Milan know they need two, two wins and a draw and the title is theirs. And I think that if they win this weekend and they know that a win and a draw gets them the title, they win. if they draw this weekend and they need two wins, I think it might swing back in Inter's favour. Um, but if they go into those final two games of the season, knowing that four points will do it, I think Milan get this over the line. Um, I think it'd be amazing. But I was saying this before and I say it again, the 22nd of May, Milan is going to be the place to be if there's still everything lining on that. It will just be electric um, in the city. And I think for me, maybe this is what gives it the edge as a title fight because of the fact that it's a cross-city rivalry. I think this is about as amazing as it gets, right? And I know that, you know, Inter fans might well say that the W de Hallier is more important to them, that they see Juventus as a, you know, as a more important rival. And that's fine, right? That That's grand. Um, I just know that across city, you know, two teams that share a stadium, you know, never mind a city, you know, and, and the fact that the city is divided pretty much in half by these two teams. It's not like there's a massive team and a small team. These are two gigantic colossuses of Italian football. It just it makes this absolutely uh, as, as, as incredible as it gets for me. This is football. This is football heritage as they would say. If this comes down to the final day of the season, it's going to be one of the most incredible things I think that anyone will ever see. So um, I'm hoping it does, to be honest. As a neutral, the sicko in me wants this to go down to the final day, wants it to go down to the wire, wants a late goal to decide the title. Um, but, you know, it's, it's all very, very exciting. This is as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. Thrill factor 10, mate. That's why it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's, it's, oh, mate, it's, it's really, really interesting. I mean, I, I'm going to talk about loads of things now because I'm just going to start spitting where like the things that I'm really enjoying watching are. And on, mate, yeah, apologies to the fact that I'm, I'm not even going to bother mentioning Liga here. And I do think it's quite interesting that there is a, a second place battle now, given that Marseille it sort of inexplicably got battered by Leon midweek oh, at the weekend. Um, but I, I think it probably should be sewn up. But I'm going to stay in Serie A first off um, and just quickly on the European race. And, you know, we talked about earlier that the fact that the top four is wrapped up, right? And Juventus can't be caught, um, which means that the top four is going to be some variation of Milan and Inter. And then it's going to be some variation of Napoli and Juventus. Um, that's fine. Those four spots are are locked in pretty much. Um, but actually, you look at the next bit below them and three games remaining, Lazio, Roma, Atalanta, Fiorentina, five, six, seven and eight. 
Um, now, seventh is probably going to be good enough to get a Conference League spot because um, of the fact that the cup wins determine the other spot in, in, in these things and it will go to a team in the top four. So it all drops down. Um, so it means that five and six are probably Europa. Seven is going to be Europa Conference League. Um, but four teams battling for these two Europa and one Conference League places. And there's three points between all four of them. So with three games to go, Lazio on 59, Roma on 59. And then Atalanta on 56 and Fiorentina on 56. Now we know it's head to head, obviously, in terms of how these things plan out. So it's all very, very exciting in in terms of how this ends. Um, and also the goal difference is going to play a part here because there's not too much to decide these teams, to, to split between these two teams uh, in either battle. So Atalanta and Fiorentina both on 56, Roma and Lazio both on 59. Now add to the fact that that's another cross-city rivalry spitting for that fifth and sixth spot makes things incredibly yeah. hostile and cool. But I mean, you look at the run-ins here as well, and and it, it's quite, quite you know, an, an interesting one. You look at Fiorentina's kind of last three games. Um, they have they have Roma next, so that's massive. That's that's the one that the term is. Roma win that game, I think Fiorentina are out of the race. Um, and, and then you come away from it, and Roma have Venezia after that, and, uh, and they finish the season at Torino. You'd expect them to win both of those games, although whether they have to concentrate on the Europa Conference League final or not potentially changes that a little bit. Fiorentina have Juventus on the final day, um, which is probably a tricky fixture. It, but although, again, is that Juventus on the beach on the final day because there's nothing left to play for. Uh, and before that, they have to go away to Sampdoria, which you'd expect them to win. Lazio have Juventus on the second to last day on the, on the penultimate fixture. Um, they finish at home to Verona, which is, again, not an easy game. So Lazio, for me, with the hardest run in here, they have Samp first. But Fiorentina and Lazio are the, are the two trickiest. And then Atalanta have come back into the equation. A lot of people have written them off in terms of European football this season. Um, they have Spezia next, who are in free fall. Um, and then they have Milan, obviously, in that game that could decide the title. Um, and they finish with a game at home to Empoli. Again, you'd imagine they win. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how that one plays out. Who misses out in this case? I do worry that for all the progress that Fiorentina have made this season under uh, under Vincenzo Italiano, that they're the ones that miss out and, and finish eighth. But I really hope, yeah. it's, I hope it's not the case because I think yeah. what they've put together this season deserves some credit. It's just been a really weird little month. Um, that, that hasn't really fallen, fallen Fiorentina's way. So we shall see how that one plays out. But I think the real drama is at the bottom. Um, and I genuinely think this is the most exciting thing left to play in European football right now. The, the bottom <laughs> of the Serie A relegation race is ludicrously interesting. So at the moment it reads Cagliari in 17th, which is the last safe spot. They have... Yep. Uh, they have 28 points. Uh, Salernitana below them on 26, but with a game in hand. Genoa in 30 have played 35, so no game in hand. They're on 25 points. I think Genoa are done. Um, and Venezia currently 20th, 22 points, but with that game in hand. Now the game in hand is Salernitana against Venezia, and it takes place as you're listening to this tomorrow night. So Thursday night there is a game Salernitana against Venezia. If Salernitana win this game. One, I think they stay up. And two, I think it, well, basically by, by association, it relegates Venezia. Um, yeah. And I was really concerned. I thought that venezia Cagliari game, the last day of the season, was going to be a straight shootout to see who survives. But Salernitana's resurgence um, has been nothing short of 
remarkable to be perfectly honest with you they got a draw against Atalanta over the bank holiday weekend and they'd won three in a row before that and they picked up 10 points in four games bear in mind this team have 26 points they picked up nearly half of their season's total in the last four games um it's just ludicrous what what they've managed to do in in this turnaround and and I think that you'd be a you'd be a brave brave person to bet against them right now to be honest I think they were quite unlucky not to win in this game against Atalanta. It took a real late dagger um, from the Bergamo side and from the Bergamasco to to actually take this in. And it was it was at Atalanta as well. It was in Bergamo. So Pasalic scores in the 88th minute. Um, and he kind of... It's those last moments to be like, oh, you know, to, they're the kind of things that can dagger a, a, a survival push, right? But I think this Salernitana side have just fully, fully believed um, that they've got the goods to stay up now. And I, I'm intrigued now with this Venezia game and then all of the things that follow because you look at Salernitana's running and, and they have Cagliari, they have Empoli and they have Udinese. They have, you know, they're at home, they're, they're three winnable games. Yeah, but I think the Salernitana might drag themselves well out of this. I think you look at what happened at the weekend in the Del, uh, Derby della Lanterna, um, just to touch on Genoa quickly and Sampdoria winning 1-0 in this in in another cross city derby in Italy in a really heated affair um but what happens at the end of this game is is that the Genoa captain Crescito misses a 97th minute penalty to equalize and potentially drag Genoa back into this conversation um the emotion and the whole thing around it the narrative of 11 years ago Genoa fans you know, holding a mock funeral for Sampdoria when they were relegated and then basically looking at Genoa's running, this defeat, I think, relegates them. It's just the kind of narrative arc of all of it. It's just absolutely sensational. So, totally. yeah, at the bottom of... Well, at the bottom of Serie A, there is so much left to play for. I go to Spain next and I'll start with the relegation battle there as well because everybody feels like they could do a great escape. Everyone, like it's absolutely nuts at the bottom. So Levante in 20th, everyone's played 34. So four games remaining for everybody in Spain. Levante on 26, Alaves above them on 28, Granada on 31, Cadiz on 32, Mallorca on 32 above them. No one is safe. Nobody. Like this is, this is winner takes all. There's so much left to play for here. Um, Obviously six points between Levante and the two safe spots in Cadiz and Mallorca, but, but, you look at this run-in, the last two games that Levante have, Alaves and Raya Vallecano, two very winnable games, and Raya Raya have turned it around a little bit of late, but ultimately are safe and and should be very, very proud of what they've achieved this season. Um, And and I think in that last days, the only thing is that that's Raya's last home game. We know how, you know, kind of you know, vehement and, and vociferous that fan base can be. And I think they'll want to, you know, heap it on to praise what has been an absolutely ludicrous season for them and what a brilliant season it has been for Rio. Um, so that's the only thing that worries me a little bit about that one. Before that, they took the, the two Reals, they have Vassociedad at home and then they go away to Champions Real Madrid. Again, do Real Madrid have much left to play for? <laughs> they are champions elect. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Don Carlo's out smoking cigars. He's literally um, got a cigar on at the moment, yeah. And to be honest, it's you know after this week we will know if they have a Champions League final to play. It's sure. very plausible. The Real Sociedad, yeah. uh, the Real Madrid may not well be playing in that game. You look at Alaves is running now. They got a massive win against Villarreal at the weekend, who seem to have all eyes on the Champions League. I'm not sure what Villarreal are playing at. It was that classic Emery cut and burn, um, just just yeah. on the league form and and hope for the best in the Champions League. <laughs> Isn't going to wash, you know, as far as I'm concerned, but <laughs> we'll see how it goes. I think they probably will just about be okay in terms of taking the Europa Conference League spot, but that is a bounce, isn't it? Europa League, Champions League, Conference League, you know, Virial are all the competitions. Um, but Alaves, with that win, you know, see themselves now four points of safety. Their running is Celta Vigo, Espanyol, Levante, Cadiz. Like, again, they're looking at that and thinking, yep. Yeah, this is on out of nowhere because Alaves were dead and buried a couple of weeks ago and suddenly you're going, hang on, where did that come from? They beat Rio at home and now they've beaten Villarreal at home. They have Espanyol and Cadiz left to play at Mendes Rotha. And you look at, you know, what they, they've been like this season at home and you go, okay, maybe maybe that's doable as well. And, you know, the, the team with the hardest run in for everyone, I think, is probably Sam's Granada, who play Mallorca next. If they were to lose that, they have Athletic Club, Betis and Espanyol. Betis and Athletic still playing for, you know, European yeah. football, very much so. That Mallorca game could well be all or nothing at this at this point. And yes, then they're 18th at the moment. They're a point of safety. I don't even know if three points from these four games is enough to secure Granada's safety. I, I don't think it is. I think you have to be looking at five, maybe six points from these four in order to kind of drag things in because Cadiz's running is Elche, Rosas, Real Madrid, Alaves. And you look at that and go, okay, <laughs> they're, they're two very interesting games. And Mallorca's running is Granada, Sevilla, and then Rio and Osasuna to finish the season. You look at it and thinking, hmm, these are all playable. And I think there's so much to go on here. Five teams, no one safe, no one buried. And, you know, it's going to take something relatively special for Levante to pull things out. But, what we've seen in this turnaround of a half season where they went and won some massive games. They obviously beat Villarreal a couple of weeks back. They've put in some really, really good performances. They've got a really, really um, important point at the weekend in, in the derby against Valencia. So, you know, how does that pan out? And, and, and I'm really, really intrigued. But I've got a sneaky that Alaves are the ones to make their great escape a, a reality here. So, yeah, at the, bottom of, yeah. at the bottom of the table in Spain, again, these relegation fights, as you said at the top, right, they're not always the sexiest. No. But in terms of what they mean and the kind of the, the thrill of survival, I think, is up there with the, with the most amazing things in football. Yeah, when you it? survive, it's, it's unbelievable emotion too. Yeah, so um, the scenes that you'll see at those games when teams do secure their place to remain in that division, just unbelievable. And every bit as good as seeing a team actually win a trophy. So that's why. And it's actually more a stake. Like you've got livelihoods on the line. Like at the club, in the squad, like in the dugout, everyone's so much to prove. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My last one I'm just going to go to is is, is a promotion race, actually. Um, yeah. There's been a lot talked about the championship and on our Ultras podcast of the week last week, we did a spotlight on the championship playoff running and how those playoffs might pan out. There's lots to play for tonight as we record this is Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, which could be a pretty much a, a shootout to see who goes up automatically in that second spot behind Fulham. You'll know the outcome by, by the time you listen to this, but it's really, really intriguing what happens in there. But I wanted to go to the Zweite Bundesliga 
um, where there are five teams still competing for the three promotion spots. So it works as the two top teams go up automatically. The third team in the Zweite Bundesliga plays the team who come 16th in the Bundesliga in a straight two-leg who goes up and who goes down. It's one of the most incredible matches in football. It's just like absolute madness from, from start to finish. Uh, so, so super exciting in that regard. But in terms of what's left in the season, two games left to play. Schalke top of the league with 59 points. I think Schalke are going to be okay. Um, I think they will get the one of these one of these two automatic spots. But you can go below that. Darmstadt, second with 57. Werder Bremen, third, 57. Hamburg, fourth in fifth, 54. And St. Pauli, fifth with 54 so three points separating second and four and fifth and that could be all the difference you look at the games that everyone has left and the you know the ones that kind of jump out to you the fact that the team's occasionally playing each other and and that's so mad with with, with how this thing Schalke St. Pauli this weekend you know I said just then that I think Schalke will be all right because I think they'll win this game but especially at home but if St. Pauli win that, the cat right amongst the pigeons again. You know, they'd only be two points off with the last day to come. Um, and, and kind of Hamburg's resurgence back into this at a period a little while back where you could buy a win. Um, but they've, you know, yeah. kind of just forced their way back in with a good little run of late. Um, Darmstadt in second now and, and, and looking really good and playing some really good stuff. Um, they've got Dusseldorf this weekend away and then they have Paderborn on the final day but it's just incredible how this all pans out and how tight this is and ultimately you know for so many weeks in this Pauli were just stuck in second despite the fact they couldn't win and eventually now they've fallen down to fifth in the table and they will be kicking themselves they conceded late equalizers there was all sorts of games going on Nuremberg were in this conversation there was six teams but I think they are just about out of it now they're sixth Three points behind St. Pauli and six points off that third and, you know, final promotion playoff spot. So I think they're probably done, although I'd imagine there still will be plenty of hope. They, they've dropped seven points in their in, in their last kind of couple of games. And it's just not ideal, really, when you're looking for when you're looking for um, to stay in these conversations. But St. Pauli have a lot of stuff. Yeah. St. Pauli haven't won in five. It's absolutely madness. So for a team who were right in the heart of the conversation about automatic promotion, they yeah. are now teetering on the verge of not being involved in the conversation whatsoever. And a loss this weekend to Schalke, I think we'll put them out of it. You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're done and dusted. So they need to go and beat the team who are top of the league, who've won four of their last five away from home to even remain in the conversation. And the way that this has flipped on its head about four times in the last couple of weeks... It's just been remarkable to watch. Two games left. It's so, so exciting. Um, and I yeah. think that as this plays out now, I think we'll have an idea over this weekend as to, you know, the four teams in the conversation. I think five will become four this weekend. How that yeah. pans out or not is is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Oh, man. The next month of football is just absolutely ridiculous. Like, everything's to be decided by the end of the month. Like, just brilliant. Like, wherever you're looking, that's what we've talked about. Like, as you say, like, fight of Bundesliga or the Champions League final, like whatever level you're at, championship, it doesn't matter. Like it all means as much to each other. Like if you're supporting those teams, if you're following those teams, if you're playing in those games, the same emotions at stake here, like it's going to be so good. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we haven't, we haven't even touched on the, the Bundesliga relegation battle, which is, is slightly less exciting, to be perfectly honest with you, and to be fair. Um, or the fact that, you know, in La Liga, there's still a kind of three-way race for that fourth and final Champions League spot. Um, mm. There's loads of people. Athletic club breathing down Villarreal's necks in the, in the race for the Conference League spot as well. Um, loads to be watching and, and it's all super exciting. Um, <laughs> but we hope we've kind of highlighted some of the things that we think are, are right up there with the best of it for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FST. It's time for our third and final segment. We'll start off with everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, floor's yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. And this week's Melon of the Week is not Inter Milan goalkeeper Jonat Radu, despite kicking the ball and basically into his own net against Bologna and costing Inter, well, potentially a, a league title. But this week's Melon of the Week is Hartlepool United midfielder Mark Shelton. Who's he? That's what everyone's saying. Who is he? This guy is the ultimate melon. He was ruled out of their League Two trip to Scunthorpe United because he got a cotton bud stuck in his ear. Yep, you heard correctly. Mark Shelton, who is 25 years old, did not travel for the penultimate game of the season because he had to go to hospital instead. His manager, Graham Lee, said, Mark's had a cotton bud in his ear that's gone in too far. He's gone to the hospital. Sounds like the tweezers have gone in too far. He's dizzy and he can't stand up. Won't be playing. (laughs) 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 I really wish I'd been there, like when the manager was trying to describe what had happened. But yeah, he didn't play. They drew one all. But he didn't play. They're assessing him ahead of the final game of the season to see whether he's come to terms with Cotton Budgate. Um, It's Melanie stuff. You're 25 years old. People warn you of this. You can't push those cotton buds into your ears. Especially can't chase them out with tweezers. What's that part about? What's he talking about? Sounds like the tweezers have gone in too far. He's dizzy and can't stand up. Don't mess your inner ear. No, you don't want it. Nobody wants that smoke. Nobody wants that smoke. That is bad vibes. Um, (laughs) I I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it at all. Um, Right, let's get on, shall we? (laughs) That is literally the end of my voice. I haven't got that much left. I'm really coming to the end of it. But that is the gibberish siren. See you in the prem. And... um, what I remind, well, basically watching the trophy presentation last night, I forgot how nice the EFL Championship trophy is. Like, it's mm. a really, really nice trophy, right? Yeah. It got me thinking, what are the worst trophies in football? Now, actually, probably worth a shout out here, and producer Sammy did mention this, um, the fact that uh, the second place in the championship gets a trophy is potentially the most stupid trophy given out. Uh, I think, yeah. but basically, obviously, the team who wins the league get a trophy. Team who wins the playoff get a trophy because they have to live something. And they were like, "It's a bit unfair that the team in second don't get a trophy." So, um, yeah, they basically ended up just being like, "Right, we'll just make one." Um, another team who finished second in the championship get a trophy as well. So interesting, um, but mm. but a strange one. Um, but it did get me thinking: what the worst trophies are in football? And uh, I've gone to just basically like ones that look proper dumb. Um, and I'm going to start here in third 
with the A-League trophy. Now, you know that I love the A-League. I think it's well fun. I think it's massively, criminally underrated at times. Um, obviously, it's one of quite difficult times to watch in the UK, but I do love the A-League. And for those of you who are patrons, you know we did A-League Moment of the Week um, for, for a long, long time on our Monday post boxes. And now that the season's kicking off again, I'm hoping that it will make a, a welcome return. But the A-League trophy is dumb. That is proper dumb. It's like a gigantic ring um, that you could put your head through. It's just like this silver. It's quite hard to describe in some ways because it's like a golden circle that's about, you know, two head spaces wide. And then it's got this kind of silver outside of it that kind of gets progressively bigger towards the bottom so it can stand up. Um, Mm -hmm. It looks a bit like an astronaut's helmet. That's probably the best the best way I could describe it with just a gigantic hole where the mask and the visor thing would be. Um, yeah. so, so that's going in at third. Um, yeah, it does look a bit like a Frisbee, actually, at times. And it does make me wonder if, you know, has anyone ever tried to chuck the A-League trophy around? Because it, it, it looks like it, it would probably swing. It does also look a bit heavy, though, so maybe, maybe not. Um, the second in this list is the Belgian first-tier trophy for winning the Belgian league. You get this sort of modern art monstrosity, which is like basically like, you know those patch old-school footballs? Like you'd get an emoji of a football, which is like mm. black and white panels. Yeah. But imagine all the white panels have been removed and it was just like the black ones on like a kind of strange base. Um, yeah. And it, it looks like a modern art installation. Like someone would have just dropped it in a museum and been like, here you go, have a look at this for an hour and try and work out what the artist is thinking. Um, now I'm all for innovation in football. But it just doesn't look like a trophy. It looks like something you'd get from like winning player of the year at the under 17 awards um, for your <laughs> local pub team. Uh, yeah. And look at it, everyone be like, why have you got this? Why didn't you just get one of the little ones with a figurine on it? Everyone would have been happy. Or I hope everyone's boot. Googling this right now, by the way, as you're listening. Yeah, right? absolutely. But the Belgian trophy is, is dumb as well. Um, but the dumbest trophy um, I'm going to give to the Southern Football League Championship. Um Now, this isn't the most obvious trophy in the world, I'll be honest, Um, but it might be the stupidest because you can't lift it. It's too big. It's too big. Like Basically, all the pictures of anyone celebrating with this trophy are them hold, like four people have to hold it at once. It is this gigantic wooden plaque, right, that they've put the names of every team who have won. But there's like, I don't know, a hundred teams around the edge of it. It is massive. It's like, genuinely one of the biggest things I've ever seen. And I'm just like, how would you even put that in a trophy cabinet? Like, how would you get near it? Um, I think it's cool. Nah, man, this is dumb. You just want to be- It's like it should be in a church. Yeah, exactly. It looks like you could kneel and pray to it. Like, that's the kind of- You should do. That's what you should do to football trophies. But this is, it's just too big. Like, what you want, you know, when you win the trophy, you want your captain at the front, at the front, ready to lift it, right? And if your captain tried to lift this, it would crush him. So I'm looking at this and thinking, that's got to be the dumbest trophy in football. I have excluded- for premises of this It was made ranking. in 1895, it says. Yeah, there are some proper dumb... If you go to like Porto or Barcelona's museums, there are some proper dumb big trophies in there as well. But they're all kind of friendly trophies, not like trophy. They're like... I think what happened was basically they started these like tournaments in the summer and they'd be like, oh, we'll call it like, I don't know, the trophy of something. 
And the more they did, they were like, a trophy for the tournament of Lisboa, right? Great, fantastic, yeah. everyone. And they were like, what we'll do is we'll make the trophy 15 feet tall um, <laughs> so that it makes pride of place. So if you go to Barcelona or Porto or, or quite a lot of museums, I imagine, yeah. you see these gigantic trophies that are for like one-off competitions. They're like, that's bigger than the players, mate. Like, why, why, why have you done that for? Um, but I think it was just a show of power back in the day. But um, yeah. I've excluded those for premises of this should be like competitive trophies. Um, so yeah, that's going to win it for me. The, uh, the old Southern football league championship trophy being just a gigantic slab of wood that wouldn't fit in your trophy cabinet right up there with the, the worst trophies in football, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I like that. Mate. That, was very, that was very funny. And yep. Worth looking up that trophy. It does look like it should be in a church. This is ludicrous. Ludicrous. Right. And that bombshell, we are going to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. Uh, and as always, if you're listening on anywhere where you can give us a rating and a review, it would be very much appreciated if you would do so. Ratings on Spotify these days on your mobile or, or an Apple review as well. would love to help us spread the word, spread the old gospel of Ranks FC. Uh, thanks again for listening. We will see you next week. Take it easy. Peace.